Today I'd like to talk about finding truth, beauty, and goodness in unexpected places. So one of the more interesting passages from the Old Testament comes from the book of Numbers chapter 11. So as a matter of background, the prophet Moses is feeling kind of overwhelmed. And so as a result, he, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, appoints 70 elders or 70 officers, if you will, to assist him with his various administrative duties. And to assist them to assist the prophet Moses, God gives each of them the gift of prophecy. And so the plan to receive this particular gift uh, on the part of the elders was basically to assemble at this place called the Tent of Meeting, the traditional place of encounter between God and his people, and at that particular place, through this particular ceremony, receive the gift of prophecy, which they do. The only difficulty from the perspective of the elders, though, is that two other guys, Eldad and Medad, they also received the gift of prophecy, even though they weren't at the tent of meeting. So the elders are really upset, and they start to complain to Moses. In response to their complaints, though, Moses says, Are you jealous on my behalf? And then he says, Would that all the people of God be prophets? Would that all the people of God be prophets? Loosely translated, who cares? Who cares, right? These guys weren't the right place. Now they have to give a prophecy. Again, who cares? Would that all the people of God become prophets in the sense of proclaiming God's truth in this really outspoken, ecstatic sort of way? So praise the Lord. You find a similar thing going on in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. So as a matter of background to that particular story, the disciples of the Lord are scandalized by the fact that certain people are casting out demons in Jesus' name, despite the fact that they're not actually disciples of the Lord. They're not actually following Jesus. In response to which, the Lord says two things. So first of all, what he says is, whoever is not against us is for us, thereby affirming the goodness of what these people are doing. Again, casting out demons in Jesus' name. But then secondly, what he says basically is that no one who persists in doing good deeds in my name will eventually be able to speak evil of us, and thereby suggesting that if people persist in a stance, doing good deeds, casting out demons in his name, eventually, in time, they'll join the Christian cause. Now, I think for most people, when they hear these particular stories, they think about the subject of other religions, whether we're talking about non-Catholic Christians or completely unbaptized persons in the context of other religions. And for good reason, right? So you think about the Second Vatican Council. The Second Vatican Council talks about the reality of the ray of light or the ray of truth that persists in certain religions, right? So anything that is authentically good, true, or beautiful in other religions, we're called to recognize it and celebrate that as a Christian people. But then, of course, the Second Vatican Council adds the fact that the Holy Catholic Church alone contains the fullness of that which Christ wishes to give to us in terms of her own personal salvation. Because, of course, the Church alone is the so-called sacrament of salvation. Now, that said, that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about instead, first of all, is the subject of evangelization, which begs the question, what is evangelization to begin with? Well, the very word evangelization comes from the Greek word euangelion, which basically means good news, which in turn begs the question, what's the good news? Well, as a matter of background, in the Roman Empire at the time of Christ, whenever the Roman Empire would secure a victory on behalf of the emperor, a messenger would be sent forth to the neighboring towns and villages proclaiming the good news of yet another victory secured in the name of the emperor. And so basically the early Christians essentially appropriated this military language of the good news, referring not so much to a military conquest, but rather the victory of the Lord's resurrection, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so given all that, what's evangelization? Well, in the words of Bishop Robert Barron, evangelization is essentially declaring the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the prevailing culture. And everything that implies, right? His victory over sin and death, the reality of the forgiveness of sins, and this new era of eternal life, both in terms of duration and quality. 
Now, practically speaking, what this means is that when we're going about trying to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we need to be mindful both of the positive and negative dimensions of evangelization. Now, I think for most Christians, it's actually pretty easy to remember and then implement the negative aspect of evangelization because this basically amounts to identifying and then debunking various elements of society which are basically incompatible with the gospel, whether we're talking about the prevailing obsession with materialism or the culture of self-invention, just to quote Bishop Robert Barron. But you see, I think what we often forget is the so-called positive dimension of evangelization, which basically amounts to identifying and then affirming anything in the culture which is authentically good, true, and beautiful. Mindful of the fact that if anything is actually true, good, or beautiful in the culture, in a funny sort of way, it is of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the very incarnation of the good, the true, and the beautiful. To use a really easy example, think about the Twilight series, whether we're talking about the book series or the movies starring Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. Now, I know it's really easy to dismiss the Twilight phenomenon as simply being a young adult's thing, right? But you got to realize that it was a cultural phenomenon. What was behind this sweeping attraction on the part of many young girls to the books and to the movies? Because if you think about it, what's the Twilight series really all about? On the face of it is about this romance between this immortal vampire played by Robert Pattinson and this young girl named Bella played by Kristen Stewart. But if you break it down, it's really about a promise, right? Because what actually attracts Bella to Edward Cullen, who of course is the vampire? Certainly it's the fact that he's really handsome, right? But on top of that, she's attracted to a promise. So basically he promises to her through his words and through his actions that I will be with you and I will love you and I will keep you safe forever. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that there's a certain kind of religious sensibility behind that because those promises are made to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in a weird sort of way, the Twilight series actually provides a really important entry point into a discussion about the reality of eternal life and a wider discussion about the Christian thing. One final note, and I'll kind of end with this. So we've been talking a lot about evangelization, but I want to talk about this reality of affirming the good, the true, and the beautiful in the world in the context of accompaniments. So the example that comes to mind is this podcast called Restore the Glory with Dr. Bob Schutz and Jake Kim. And in particular, this episode from that podcast where the guest speaker was Sister Miriam James Heidland. And so to kind of kick things off, Sister Miriam talked about trauma on a high level. So she was talking about the fact that trauma basically results in two negative outcomes. First of all, the, the actual trauma, hopefully that goes without saying. But secondly, the fact that what often flows from a trauma is this feeling that I have secrets that can't be told because for whatever reason, I don't feel safe to reveal those secrets to anyone. To illustrate the point, Sister Miriam talked about her own experience in therapy. And so as the story goes, she initially corresponded with her own therapist through email before eventually meeting in person. But recurrently, her great fear was that one day the therapist would say to her, that's it. I don't want to see it anymore because you're ugly, you're disgusting, I can't believe you're a nun. But instead, the therapist was steady. She made her feel safe, she made her feel loved. And more to the point, she made her feel affirmed in her beauty and her goodness thereby affirming the truth articulated by John Paul II that who we are is not so much the sum of our brokenness or failures, but indeed truly we are the sum of our Father's love for us and our real capacity to become an image of His only begotten Son. No more and no less. And so just to kind of close out that particular narrative, eventually after years of therapy, Sister Miriam found within herself the courage to share her story, not just with her therapist, but in fact with the entire world thereby sharing the fruits of her healing with millions of people who are kind of basically going through the same thing. Now, the reason I bring this up, this idea of affirming the good, the true, and the beautiful in our various relationships, 
is it basically suggests to you that this concept is not meant to be simply this tool that we're meant to have in our evangelization toolbox, but instead it is meant to have major implications in terms of our everyday lives. Because you got to realize this. Each one of us is dealing with the aftermath of original sin. Each one of us is dealing with our own sense of brokenness and woundedness. And so therefore, there, there falls upon the entire Christian community a solemn duty. A solemn duty on the part of all Christians to make people feel safe, to make people feel loved, to make people feel convicted of this unwavering commitment to accompaniments, no matter how shabby or ugly or painful the truth might be such that people might be able to say in the presence of any single person in the Christian community, I am now convicted of the person of Christ, and I'm now convicted of his love because I perceive Christ's love in his people, because I truly feel like I can be weak and vulnerable in this community, and they will not reject me. And may God bless you all.